Well, church, let's open our Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Our text for this morning is Proverbs chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a blue hardback version in the seat rack near you. And you'll find our passage beginning, our text beginning on page 533. Again, if you're using one of the blue Bibles, you'll find Proverbs chapter 9 on 533. So we're resuming our journey through the book of Proverbs. And this morning we finish actually the first large section of the book. You might recall, or you might know, that the book of Proverbs divides roughly into two parts. Chapters 1 through 9 are comprised of speeches, mostly in the, in the, uh, the picture of parents to their children. And then some images and stories and parables from Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And the second half of the book of Proverbs is a collection of wisdom sayings compiled together. So our series through the book of Proverbs has two parts. We finish part one today. And next week, we are going to do something very different than we are used to as a church. We will be looking at chapters 10 through 31, but we will not be moving through them verse by verse. Instead, we're going to be taking topics covered throughout chapters 10 through 31 and think about the sum of Proverbs teaching on these various topics. Now, I told this to one of my friends who serves in ministry, and his response was, oh, I see God's order isn't good enough for you. Well, it is. So why study thematically? Well, as the elders considered this series, we thought it could be beneficial to us as a church to take the text of the Bible and, in a sense, maybe gather up what could appear as scattered jewels of proverbial wisdom on certain topics and let the force of God's Word and the Proverbs on one given area of life each Lord's Day land on us. But, in keeping with my friend's not-so-subtle rebuke and clear advice, I want to recommend still reading the Proverbs as they are written. God's order is still best, even while we continue our series. You see, one of the beauties of the book of Proverbs is found in the fact that chapters 10 through 31 actually come to us in what appears like a completely disconnected presentation. Life comes at you and me from all directions every day. Every day brings challenges and opportunities in work, relationships, words, finances, emotions, and so on. So when the Proverbs seem to jump around at random, we actually see the genius of our God, who reminds us that life doesn't always fit into neat boxes. We are often thinking of many things at once. Some of you are thinking of more than one thing right now. So reading the Proverbs as God has ordered them will yield immense benefit in your daily life. But before we begin to consider next week the, the Proverbs wisdom for different aspects of life, we face a decision. A decision laid before us in chapter 9. A choice that we face not only once, but actually every day. So let's read Proverbs chapter 9. Nine. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. 
She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. He does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Every Thanksgiving, our family watches a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. And there's a point, if you know this great film, where Peppermint Patty invites herself and the Peanuts crew to Charlie Brown's house for Thanksgiving dinner. There's one problem, though. Chuck can't cook. But with the help of Snoopy, they hatch a plan to make things that they know how to make. Toast, popcorn, and jelly beans. If you haven't seen a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, you probably can imagine how it goes down once dinner is served. There is great disappointment on on the part of all the guests. They were expecting turkey mashed potatoes, all the rest of Thanksgiving fare. And so they mock Charlie Brown as usual, and he and Snoopy hang their heads in failure. The feast, however well-intentioned, was unsatisfying to every guest. So Charlie Brown phones his grandmother and explains his failure to her. And to his surprise, Grandma has been preparing a feast all day. In fact, she says Charlie can invite all his friends to her house to enjoy the feast that has been prepared. You see, Charlie Brown tried to bank on his own skill and wisdom and ended up looking foolish no matter how well-intentioned he was. He trusted in himself and met only heartache. But when there was a better feast offered, he made the wise choice, trusted the wisdom of one who actually knew what to do, and pursued wisdom. 
It was when Charlie looked outside of himself who, to someone who knew what to do that he was actually able to benefit from wisdom. It was self-reliance in Charlie Brown that led to pain. And it was looking to another's wisdom that brought him joy. You see, our passage today is a climax of what we've seen in chapters 1 through 8. The descriptions of folly and wickedness have been laid out, and as have the descriptions of righteousness and wisdom. And now at the end, they're side by side in the chapter we just read. They're both calling out. Folly is calling out. Wisdom is calling out. And we, as readers and hearers of God's word, are faced with a decision of which feast we will attend. And that choice culminates here in chapter 9 as a result of our orientation, the orientation of our heart towards God. So here's the deal. To state it simply, the fool that we've seen through chapters 1 through 8, does not fear God. And his motto is, I live life on my own terms. I do what I want. The wise one does fear God, and his motto is, I want to live on Yahweh's terms. You see, a major irony that we've seen so far in Proverbs is that the foolish person and even the wicked and evil person is actually convinced that they're wise. Whereas the one who is wise is aware of his or her own tendency to foolishness. This is why the son has been repeatedly warned to avoid the paths and the lifestyle of fools who reject the existence of God and God's wisdom. And even as foolishness has been unmasked for its emptiness and danger... Wisdom has been extolled in all of her beauty. And the son has been instructed time and time again through these opening speeches to seek wisdom, to know fullness and safety in the paths of Yahweh. And as we come to the last speech in the first part of our book, we are given a metaphor. That is a word picture to drive home the final emphasis as or before this book transitions into hundreds of practical, small tidbits of godly wisdom for how to live in an ungodly world. And it's fitting that we, that we see again that wisdom is not first data that we put in our minds, but the response of our hearts to God. And if we are responding to God in faith and trusting His wisdom, then we are able to embrace and learn how to live by reading and studying and applying his instructions for us. Think about it. If you don't trust God, what good is his instruction to you? To attempt to grow in wisdom apart from trusting God is to do the exact opposite of what we saw in chapter 3. To seek to grow in wisdom apart from trusting God is to lean on your own understanding, not His. It's to disregard Yahweh, not acknowledge Him. It's to be wise in your own eyes, not His. It's to attempt ultimately to outwit God by taking His blessing and blaspheming His person. Listen, you will not benefit at all all from the wisdom of God if your heart is turned away from Him. In fact, 
to seek to benefit from God and not seek God is to end up in misery and to be a fool. And the picture we have laid before us is of two characters, two banquets, two invitations, and two outcomes. And those parallels are going to be our path for walking through the text this morning. So first, let's look at the two characters. The characters, wisdom and folly. Wisdom and folly. So one reality is, is that at this point in our series, we've been well introduced to these characters. But to remind ourselves, here's, here's, here's what it is. Wisdom, that is God's good instruction, His revelation in His Word, is portrayed as a woman calling out to simple people to embrace her and learn from her. And when we began this series through Proverbs, I shared a simple definition from an Old Testament scholar named Dwayne Garrett. He calls wisdom, this really simple little phrase, skill in the art of godly living. What is wisdom? Wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. So what does that mean then? It means that embracing wisdom, or in this metaphor, attending her banquet is to study God's word in order to develop skill in the art of godly living. But foolishness is also portrayed as a character. A woman who is enticing and seductive, who appeals to our real desires for pleasure. She is the one whose only commitment is to give you what you want most in the moment. She's not concerned for you. She's not concerned for her followers. She's concerned with what she can get from them. You see, foolishness is concerned with consuming, not growing. To embrace foolishness is to live according to whatever is most appealing to your desires in a moment. It's to be self-made to trust your own wits and impulses and your own reason without regard to anywhere that that may conflict with what God would tell you to do. And the way these characters are portrayed in preparing their feasts is actually telling of their character. So maybe you noticed in the first few verses, Lady Wisdom began her preparation for her feast by doing what? Building a house. Like she, she, she is laboring. She has built, hewn, slaughtered, mixed. She has set the table, sent out her servants, and invited people to come. Wisdom here is industrious in preparation for her guests. The fact that her house has seven pillars instead of four is noteworthy because it points to some things that we know from God's word. Seven being a number of perfection and creation, which we just saw in chapter 8 of Proverbs. Creation being a, an argument for the ultimate display of God's wisdom and power. The use of the number seven is that God's wisdom is flawless. It is secure. It is strong. The wisdom of God does not fail. On the other hand, Lady Folly is not described as industrious, but rather she's portrayed as a thief. Look at her enticement in verse 17. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. 
We don't, we don't see in the picture of Lady Folly work or industriousness. But rather, she's offering to her followers what's not hers to give. Food she didn't prepare. And she is not authorized to give to those who would turn into her banquet. So what are, what are we meant to see here? Well, the God who is good and freely gives to his children what he himself makes is on display. And we see Satan, who owns nothing but steals and then offers his stolen pleasures to those who would fall for his schemes. If you wonder what is behind all of the brokenness and fallenness of our world, you need to look no farther than the serpent who whispers in our ears the same way he did to our first mother in the garden. Lady Folly speaks with a forked tongue, telling us that it's, it's our own desires, it's our own pleasures, it's our own impulses that are right. And if those impulses are at odds with God, then he's not a God you can trust or who cares for you. But the banquet of Satan in this text, I mean, just by sheer comparison, is not even close to the pleasure of the banquet of God's wisdom. That's the second parallel we see. Two banquets. Now listen, I'd rather attend a banquet with carefully prepared meat and wine over hastily stolen bread and water any day. But what are they actually talking about here? What is the food that we are invited to eat at Lady Wisdom's banquet and at Lady Folly's banquet? On a very basic level, the banquet that the author of Proverbs is talking about here is the rest of the book of Proverbs. The food that Lady Wisdom has prepared is God's word. It's his instruction. The invitation to the feast of Lady Wisdom is an invitation to find life-giving nourishment in the rest of the book of Proverbs. And there's an echo of what Moses said to Israel in Deuteronomy here. When he said, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Moses told Israel the literal food and manna that fell from heaven was but a picture of the greater food of dependence upon God's promises in his word, trusting him. You can starve physically by not eating food. But friends, there is a more terrible starvation that we can fall into. It happens in our minds and hearts when we are starved for truth. Or worse, when we feed ourselves with lies and misinformation. To feast with wisdom in this text is to heed 
all the encouragement to know God's word and to live it out, to understand and live in the fear of the Lord and embrace his ways and teaching such that that your life reflects the glory of the one who made you and has redeemed you. But there's also food offered by Lady Folly. The food offered by Lady Folly is the choice to ignore it to ignore the wisdom of God and simply live for whatever pleasure you most want. It's to pant after money, deception, forbidden intimacy, and laziness. It's to functionally worship yourself by ignoring the wisdom of God. It's important to see that the, the, the forbidden woman, Lady Folly, doesn't offer you starvation. That's not a good sales pitch. She offers food that isn't hers to give. Food that will actually take life instead of giving it. The fruit that Adam and Eve ate in the garden was still fruit. But it was the food that led to death. And their transgression, not surprisingly, began with Satan's lies concerning God's word. The deception was about the fruit. You will not surely die if you eat this thing. But more importantly, and more directly, was the question that preceded that. Did God actually say? Satan offered food to Eve. The food of deception and folly. And her heart took a seat at the feast of Lady Folly and ate And Adam joined right next to her in the feast of death. Their minds and their hearts ate first, and their actions followed. There's a question for us, friends, isn't there? What are we eating? What dialogue are you feasting on? I mean, how often are we guilty of making no time for God's word in our lives? See, the functional reality, you can know which feast you're attending. Does your life reflect a devotion to God's word or doesn't it? Friends, to ignore regular study of God's word is to choose folly. If you are not feasting at the table of Lady Wisdom, you are feasting on something and there's only two tables in the passage. And we are so graciously helped by this passage because when we see what is offered by wisdom and what is offered by folly, the obvious choice is to eat at wisdom's table. But how many times do we find ourselves at war with our own appetites for foolishness? Now hear me, beloved church, I do not say this to burden you with some new law. But I want you, I want to help you to see what it is that God offers you in his word and ultimately in his son, Jesus. I love how one preacher I listen to regularly, he reminds his people saying this, reading the Bible, is, studying God's word is not a new, new duty, it's discipleship. We, we must remember that we are always being discipled. The question is not whether we are or are not a disciple, but rather who is discipling us. It's not if we're, if we are not being discipled by Jesus through his word, we are being discipled by another whose banquet is a sad substitute for the choice delicacies of God's truth. And we see that there are two characters and we have seen two banquets and 
Then there are two invitations. We're going to spend the most time here. And maybe you picked up on the reality, as we read earlier in the sermon, read this text, that the invitation from both Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly are virtually identical. Look at verse 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says. Then look down at verse 16. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says. The audience for both wisdom and folly is the same. It's the same character. We actually met this character in the beginning of the book, in the very purpose statement of the book. Chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, we see this. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Who are the simple? The simple one in Proverbs is the immature, the untrained, the one who has not yet learned wisdom or skill in the art of godly living. The simple one is not the foolish one, but rather the one who is uncommitted. This is who Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly are after. The one who has not yet set their heart in a direction. Which is why I think the central section of this chapter is the key to the entire chapter. It comes to us right at the center. I I think the author here is using a chiasm. Now, that's a term that may be unfamiliar to you. But here's an analogy. A chiasm is like a word sandwich. Most of us know what a sandwich is. I'm just assuming that you can grasp the concept of a sandwich. If, if you haven't, children, if you don't know what a sandwich is, you should talk to your parents. They've failed you. But the reality is, a chiasm is like a word sandwich. So if we were at D'Alessandro's in Philadelphia, home of the greatest cheesesteak in Philly, it would work like this. Lady Wisdom's Banquet, top slice of bread. Lady Folly's Banquet, Bottom slice of bread. I love it. Everybody's like, this is so bad for me to talk about this right before lunch, but just, it'll be great. Lunch is going to taste so good. Top slice of bread, Lady Folly's Banquet, bottom slice of bread. The instruction in the middle, verses 7 through 12, is that perfectly cooked steak, onion, and melted cheese. The middle part is the star of the show. And that's true here. Even if it doesn't appear to us to be so at the beginning. The warning not to correct a scoffer, verse 7, is present because the the Proverbs has already introduced us to this character. The scoffer is not the simple. The scoffer is the one who's already committed. His heart is settled against the fear of Yahweh. He is the fool that has determined, I actually know what's best for my life. Let me give you just a couple more examples from later in the book about the nature of the scoffer. Chapter 13, verse 1, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Chapter 14, verse 6, a scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. Chapter 15, verse 12, a scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. 
So you remember what we've already talked about, even today and in the weeks leading up to this. Wisdom is a response, not just what you know. The scoffer is responding. He has a knowledge that seems right to him, but it's rooted in a heart response to Yahweh. It's rooted in rejecting God. That rejection is the root of why he will not hear nor heed the wisdom of God, which is why it's not to our benefit to engage with a scoffer. That's why the sage says, don't fool with them. It will end badly for you. You will be abused by them. Yet the wise is also a character in verses 7 through 12. The one who is already committed to Yahweh, who is able to be instructed because the default of this one's heart to the Lord is yes. Your ways are true. Your ways are better than mine. Your thoughts are better than mine. What you say is best. That is the heart of the one who is wise. That's why tucked right into the middle of the beginning of Proverbs and right in the middle of our text here, a reminder of where wisdom begins. Verse 10 of our chapter. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Just like chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what of the invitation then? Why just the simple? Because the scoffer and the wise have already made their choice. The scoffer has taken his seat at the banquet of Lady Folly and the wise person has joined the feast of Lady Wisdom. You see, as we read these chapters, there's a self-evaluation that should be taking place in our hearts. Where am I seated? Where am I feasting? Before he embarks on chapter after chapter of practical wisdom, where is my heart? Are you simple? Uncommitted? You haven't really decided if the Lord is trustworthy or if he's real or if he's good? Maybe you're here today and you're not really sure about Christianity and Jesus. And I would encourage you to keep exploring that here with us. The best place to seek to understand Christianity is among a people who take Jesus seriously. And you'll find that here. Second, are you wise? Have you made the good choice and taken a seat at the Feast of Wisdom and determined to follow the Word of God in your life? You haven't arrived. You see your proneness towards folly. But you recognize that wisdom is not a static category, but a growing reality. You aren't once wise, always wise. Look at verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Which points again to the opening verses of the book. Let the wise, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying. The words of the wise and the riddle. Friends, you don't eat breakfast once and never eat it again. Like, right? You don't eat one meal and think, whew, I'm good for life. If you're thinking to do that, I just want to tell you that's bad, that's folly, that's not wisdom. No, we eat every day. Why? Because nourishment on our very life depends on it. 
See what the metaphor here teaches? Wisdom is a feast you can attend every day. Every day. And you must attend it if you would remain wise. Are you a scoffer? Maybe you're here, and in your heart you have rejected the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God seems to you to be utterly foolish. Christianity seems like the arena of fairy tales. It isn't. In fact, the world only makes rational sense in light of the scriptures. Friend, if you're a scoffer, hear me. There is a God who made the world and everything in it. He has made you in his very image. And the reality is, is your hatred of him is actually the only barrier between you and him. God actually invites you, the scoffer, to turn from your sin and hatred. To turn from wickedness and receive the forgiveness that he offers. You see, we were all actually once scoffers. Every one of us. Until God's grace came in the person of his son, Jesus. Jesus, the eternal son of God, the very word and wisdom of God, came to bear the penalty for our scoffing. He bore the punishment that our every sin deserved. And we received through his death and resurrection forgiveness for our sins and new life. Life that never ends. Jesus died for scoffers like me and you. And if we would turn from our scoffing, we find there's a seat for us at the Feast of Wisdom. The table isn't all the way full there's a chance for you to be satisfied in God instead of being a scoffer. This is what the Lord Jesus was getting at in John chapter 6 when he said, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever and the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I don't want to make this metaphor confusing to you. But beloved, on this side of the New Testament, we know what was not fully revealed in Proverbs. That the food for our souls, for our minds and for our hearts, that is actually satisfying is the truth of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that we find satisfaction for our hearts in the feast of the Lord Jesus. He is our soul's feast. Are you simple? Are you wise? Are you a scoffer? Whoever would hear the words of Jesus and come to him for life will find a seat at the table. Your choice of banquet has consequences. And that's our final picture. Two outcomes. In verse 6, the offer of wisdom is life. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. To choose wisdom is to choose life according to the word of God, which is the only path to real life. But the offer of folly is life too. 
She offers food and drink, but beloved, hear me, her offer is a lie. Verse 18, but he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Notice the sad outcome for the simple one who is deceived. He does not know. This is the reason for all of these speeches that we have been working through, being so forceful and pleading us with us to see folly for what it truly is and wisdom for what it truly is. Friends, the Lord does not desire to deceive you. He desires for your life to be built upon truth. This is why the door of Folly's house is open for us by the sage so that we can look inside and see, oh, that's death in there. That's rotting corpses. That is not life. She's lying to me. That's why he does this, because the ongoing invitation is to get wisdom. Go to the banquet where wisdom feeds you to ask ourselves the question, am I walking on the path of righteousness or am I walking on the path of foolishness? And the paths have destinations. We saw that earlier in chapter four, verses 18 and 19. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stop. We're told over what they stumble. In chapter 9, dead bodies. The path you choose will have consequences. And beloved, this text is clear that the consequences are yours personally. You can't hide in a crowd. Verse 12, if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. If that sounds harsh to you, I think you need to look back at the beginning of the text and see the grace of God. Because the banquet that you and I are invited to is not one we deserve to come to. It's not one that we can earn or must earn an invitation to. It's not a potluck where God says, hey, I'll make this, you, you all bring a side and a dessert. He does it all. He does everything. He builds the house. He's the gracious host. He's the one who's prepared all of the food for us. God is the one who does it all and says, just come. Just come. I'll give it all to you. Just come. Proverbs is not a self-help manual for cleaning yourself up. It is a book designed to reveal the wonders of God who has made you and takes you by the hand and shows you how to live in the world that he has made. You do have responsibility to choose a feast, but you're not the star of the show. You're not even the guest of honor. God is. He has graciously prepared a feast and invited you to find satisfaction in him alone. He alone gives the life that you and I are most desperately in need of, and he offers it freely to you. A feast that we didn't prepare at a table we don't deserve to sit. The feast of God's wisdom here echoes forward to another feast, a seemingly quiet Passover in an upper room where the Lord Jesus used bread and wine to symbolize his body and blood. And there in that room, foolish disciples who didn't deserve a seat at the table were given the richest meal they could have, food for their souls. 
not just their bellies. In just a moment, we will return to feast with wisdom as we look to Christ. But before we do, let's pray.